Section two of Astounding Stories six, June nineteen thirty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K Hand. Astounding Stories six, June nineteen thirty. Out of the Dreadful Depths by C. D. Willard, Part two. Their return to the Bennington again through a pathway of light that Thorpe knew was safe under the black muzzles of the destroyer's guns. Or was it, he asked himself, safe? Was anything safe from this devilish mystery that could pluck each cowering human from the lowest depths of the steel freighter, that could drag her down in the water till the radio man sent his cry, We are sinking? He told Brett quietly, after the ensign had reported, of the struggles in the wireless room and its few remaining traces, and he watched with the commander through the hour of darkness while the Bennington steamed in slow circles about the abandoned hulk, while her searchlights played endlessly over the empty waters and the men at the guns cast wondering glances at their skipper, who ordered such strange procedure when no danger was there. With daylight the scene lost its sense of mysterious threat, and Thorpe was eager to return to the abandoned ship. I might find something, he said, some trace or indication of what we have to fight. I must leave, said Commander Brent. Oh, I'm coming back, never fear, he added, at the look of dismay on Thorpe's face. The thought of leaving this mystery unsolved was more than that young seeker after adventure could accept. I'm coming back, Brent repeated. I've been in communication with the Admiral. Honolulu has relayed the messages through. I'll code, of course. We mustn't alarm the whole Pacific with our nightmares. The old man says to stick around and get the low-down on this damn thing. Then why leave? objected Thorpe. Because I am coming around to your way of thinking, Thorpe. Because I am as certain as can be that we have a monster of some sort to deal with, and because I haven't any depth charges. I want to run up to the supply station at Honolulu and get a couple of ash cans of TNT to lay on top of the brute if we sight him. Glory be, said Thorpe fervently. That sounds like business. Go and get your eggs, and perhaps we can feed them to this devil raw. And I think I'll stay here, if you will be back by dark. Better not, the other objected, but Thorpe overruled him. This thing attacks in the dark, he said. I will lay a bet on that. It left the orang-otang on the mini-r, quit at the first sign of daylight. I will be safe through the day, and besides, the beast has gutted this ship. It won't return, I imagine. And if I stay there for the day, live as they lived, the men who manned that ship... I may have some information that will be of help when you get back. But for heaven's sake, Brent, don't stop to pick any flowers on the way. It's your funeral, said Brent, not too cheerfully. The old man said to give you every assistance, and perhaps that includes helping you commit suicide. But Robert Thorpe only laughed as Commander Brent gave his orders for a small boat to be lowered. A ship's lantern and rockets for night signals were taken at the officer's orders. We'll be back before dark, he said, but take these as a precaution. One favor Thorpe asked that the ship's carpenter go over with him and help him to make a strong barred retreat of the wireless cabin. And I'll talk to you occasionally, he told Brent. I tried the key while I was aboard. The wireless is working on its batteries. He waved a cheery goodbye as the small boat pulled away. And hurry back, he called. The destroyer commander nodded in emphatic assent. On board the Nagasaki Maru, Thorpe directed the carpenter and his helpers in the work he wanted done. The man seemed to know instinctively where to put his hands on needed supplies, and the result was a virtual cage of strong oak bars enclosing the wireless room, and braces of oak to bar the single door. 
thorpe was not assuming any bravado in his feeling of safety but he was doing what he had done in many other tight corners and he prepared his defences in advance these included weapons of offence as well as the boat with the destroyer's men pulled back to the bennington he placed in easy reach in a corner of the room a heavy calibred rifle he had taken from his belongings and still with all his feeling of security there was a strange depression fell upon him when the bennington's narrow hull was small upon the horizon and then that too was gone and only the heaving swells and the wallowing hulk were his companions only these he shivered slightly as he thought of that unseen watcher with the devil eyes whose presence captain wilkins had felt and his men and the poor terrified ape he deliberately put from his mind the thought of this no use to start the day with morbid fears he went below to examine the cabins but he carried the heavy elephant gun with him wherever he went below decks the signs of the marauder were everywhere yet there was little to be learned the slimy trails dried quickly and vanished but not before thorpe had traced them to the uttermost depths of the ship there was not a nook or corner that had gone unsearched in the horrible quest for human food and one thing impressed itself forcibly upon the man's mind he found a lantern and he used it of necessity in his explorations but this thing had gone through the dark and with unerring certainty had found its way to every victim can it see in the dark thorpe questioned or he visioned dimly some denizen of the vast depths living beyond the limits of the sun's penetration far in the abysmal darkness where its only light must be self-made but his mind failed in the attempt to picture what manner of horror this thing might be even in the hold its evil traces were found there were tiers of metal drums that still shone wet in his lantern's light calcium carbide for making acetylene he supposed marked made in the u s a the nagasaki must have been westward bound he went after an hour or so to the wireless room and only when he relaxed in the safety of his improvised fortress did he realize how tense had been every nerve and muscle throughout his long search he tried the wireless and got an instant response from the destroyer don't shoot it too fast he spelled out slowly to the distant operator i am only a dub just wanted to say hello and report all okay fine was the steady careful response we have had a little trouble with our condensers there was a short pause then the message continued this portion dictated by the commander delay not important we will be back as agreed have picked up ss adelaide bound east in your latitude warned her to take northerly course account derelict see you later signed brent commanding uss bennington the man in the barred room tapped off his acknowledgment and closed the key he suddenly realized he had had no breakfast and the hours had been slipping past he took his gun again and went down to the galley to prepare some coffee it was not the time or place for an enjoyable meal but he would have relished it more had he not pictured the adelaide and her lovely owner steaming across these threatening seas he knew the captain of the adelaide obstinate pig-headed old scotchman hope he takes brent's advice of course brent couldn't tell him the truth we can't blat this wild yarn all over the air or the passenger lines would have our scalps but i wish the adelaide was safe in manila his explorations in the afternoon were half-hearted and perfunctory there was nothing more to be learned but he had seen in his mind some vague outline of what they must meet he saw a something mammoth huge that could grasp and hold an ocean freighter against whose great body he had seen the waves dash in a line of white spray yet a something that could force its way down narrow passages could press with terrific strength on bolted doors and crush them inward wrecked and splintered 
some serpentine thing that felt and saw its way and crawled so surely through the dark found its prey seized it and carried off a man as easily as it might a mouse no octopus no matter what proportions filled the description he gave up trying to see too clearly the awful thing and he kept away from the ship's rail when once he had ventured near for there had come to him a feeling of fear that had set waves of cold trickling and prickling up his spine was there something really there a waiting lurking horror in the depths the eyes he thought the eyes and he went more quickly than he knew to his barred retreat where again he might breathe quietly the position of the deserted ship was south of the regular steamer lanes on the trans-pacific run only a trace of smoke in the northern horizon marked through the afternoon the passage of another craft it was a long and lonely vigil for the waiting man but the bennington would return and he listened in at intervals hoping to hear her friendly signal the batteries operating the nagasaki's wireless were none too strong thorpe saved their strength though he tried at times to raise the bennington somewhere beyond his reach the sun was touching the horizon when he got his first response keep up the old nerve admonished the slow careful sending of the bennington's operator we have been delayed but we are on our way signed brent the man in the wireless room placed the oak bars across the door and tried to believe he was nonchalant and unafraid as he laid out extra clips of cartridges but his eyes persisted in following the sinking sun and he watched from within his cage the coming of the quick dark the protecting glare of day must be unbearable to this monster from the lightless depths and daylight was vanishing thorpe's mind was searching for additional means of defense he found it in the cargo he had seen the drums of carbide he could scatter it on the deck it reacted with water and those slimy arms if they came and touched it could find the contact hot he took his lantern and went hastily below to stagger back with a drum upon his shoulder in the half-light that was left him he forced the cover and then rolled the drum about the swaying deck the gray earthly lumps of carbide formed erratic lines useless perhaps he admitted but the threatening dark forced the man to use every means at his command he was scattering the contents of a second drum when he stiffened abruptly to rigid attention the ship thrown broadside to the wide space swells had rolled endlessly with a monotonous motion but now the deck beneath him was steadying it assumed an abnormal levelness the boat rose and fell with the waves but it no longer rolled there was something beneath holding drawing on it thorpe knew in that frozen second what it meant the drum clattered to the rail as he dashed for his room gun in hand he watched with staring eyes where the deserted deck showed dim and vague in the light of the stars and the bow of the ship was lost in the uncertain dark of night wide-eyed he watched into the blackness and he listened with desperate attention for some slightest sound beyond the splashing of waves and the creaking of spars far in the west a light appeared to glow and vanish and glow again in the tumbling waters the bennington his heart leaped at the thought then sank as he knew the destroyer's lights would not appear from that direction through a slow hour that seemed an eternity the oncoming ship drew near and he knew with a sudden startling certainty that it was the adelaide and ruth allaire coming on into the horror awaiting he leaned forward tensely as a sound reached his ears a ghostly echo of a sound like the softest of smooth slipping fabric upon hard steel and as he listened before his staring eyes something came between him and the lighted yacht it wavered and swung in the darkness 
it was formless uncertain of outline and it swung in the night out beyond the ship's rail till it suddenly neared waved high overhead and the cold light of the stars shone in pale reflection from an enormous staring eye it surmounted a serpentine form that took shape in the dim radiance without and came lower in undulating folds to crash heavily upon the deck thorpe's hand was upon the wireless key he had wanted to warn off the yacht but not till the thud of the creature on the bare deck proved its reality could he force his cold fingers to press the key then fast as his inexperience allowed he called frantically for the adelaide he spelled her name over and over would the sleepy operator never answer the bennington broke in one is that you thorpe what is up they demanded but thorpe kept up his slow spelling of the yacht's name he must get a warning to them then he realized that the bennington could do it better bennington he called adelaide approaching i am attacked warn them off warn them his frantic hissing dots and dashes died immediately beneath his feet the nagasaki maru was rolling again swinging free to the lift and thrust of the swells beneath good god he shouted aloud in his lonely cabin it's gone for the yacht adelaide turn north full speed he clicked off on a slow stuttering key head north you are being attacked he groaned again as he saw the adelaide shining port swing away from the safety of the north the ship broached broadside to the waves and came slowly to a stop bennington he radioed brent it has got the adelaide help hurry i am going over he tore wildly at the barred door and he made a dash across the deck to slip sprawling in a heap against the rail where the slimy traces of the recent visitor stretched glistening on the deck how he lowered the boat thorpe never knew but he knew that there was one that the men from the bennington had swung over the side and tore madly at the tackle to let the boat crash miraculously upright into the sea he slung the rifle about his neck with a rope end there were cartridges in his pocket and he went down the dangling lines and cast off in a frenzy of haste what could he do he hardly dared form the question only this stood clear and unanswerable in his mind the yacht was in the monster's grip and ruth allaire was there on board ruth allaire so smiling so friendly so lovable food for that horror from the depths he rode with superhuman strength to drive the heavy boat across the wave-swept distance that separated them between gasping breaths he turned at times to glance over his shoulder and correct his course and now as he drew near he saw though indistinct the unmistakable snake-like weaving of horrible tenuous fingers rolling and groping about the yacht they were plain as he drew alongside the trim ship rose and fell with the water while over her side where thorpe approached swung a long white monstrous rope of flesh it retreated like the lash of a whip and the horrified watchers saw as it went the struggling figure of a man in the grasp of flabby lips and above them a single eye glared wickedly another vile twisting arm rose from the after-deck with a screaming figure in its grasp and vanished into the water beyond the yacht there were others writhing about the decks thorpe saw them as he made his boat fast and clambered aboard a wave of reeking air enveloped him as he reached the deck the nauseous stench from the monster's tentacles was horrible beyond endurance he gagged and choked as the stifling breath entered his lungs a huge rope of slippery throbbing flesh stretched its twisted length toward the stern it contracted as he watched into bulging muscular rings and withdrew from the after deck the deadly end of it stopped in mid-air not twenty feet from where he stood 
the jaw-like pincers on it held the limp form of an officer in its sucking grip while above in a protuberance like a gnarled horn a great eye glared into thorpe's with devilish hatred the beak opened sharply to drop its unconscious burden upon the deck and the watching man petrified with horror saw within the gaping maw great sucking discs and beyond them a brilliant glow the whole cavernous pit was aflame with phosphorescent light dimly he knew that this light explained the ability of the beastly arms to grope so surely in the dark the eye narrowed as the gaping fleshy jaws distended and robert thorpe in a flash that galvanized him to action was aware his fight for life was on he fired blindly from the hip and the recoil of the heavy gun almost tore it from his hands but he knew he had aimed true and the toothless seeking jaws whipped in agony back into the sea there were other arms whose eyes were searching the stern of the yacht thorpe plunged frenziedly down a companionway for the cabin he knew was ruth allaire's was he in time could he save her if he found her his mind was in a turmoil of half-formed plans as he rushed madly down the corridor to find the body of the girl a limp huddle across the threshold of her cabin she was alive he knew it as he swung her soft body across one shoulder and staggered with his burden up the stairs if only he could breathe his throat was tight and strangling with the reeking putrescence in the air and before his eyes was a picture of the strong oak bars of his own retreat somehow some way he must get back to the abandoned ship an eye detected him as he came on deck and he dropped the limp body of the girl at his feet as he swung his rifle toward the glowing light within the opening jaws the sucking discs cupped and wrinkled in dread readiness in the fleshy toothless opening he emptied the magazine into the head though he knew this was only a feeler and a feeder for a still more horrible mouth in the monstrous body that rose and fell tremendously in the dark waters beyond but it was typical of robert thorpe that even in the horror and frenzy of the moment he rammed another clip of cartridges into his rifle before he stooped to again raise the prostrate figure of ruth allaire the forward deck for the moment was clear it rose high with the weight of the writhing twisting arms that weighed down the stern of the yacht where the crew had taken refuge to think of helping them was worse than folly he dismissed the thought as another great eye came over the rail once more he used the gun then lowered the girl to the waiting boat and cast off and rowed with the stealthiest of strokes into the dark behind him were whipping points of light above the white brilliance of the yacht adelaide the boat was tossing in great waves that came from beyond where a body incredibly huge was tearing the waters to foam there were ghostly arms that shone in slimy wetness that lashed searchingly in all directions as the monster gave vent to its fury at thorpe's attack there were screaming human figures grasped in many of the jaws and the man was glad with a great thankfulness that the girl's stupor could save her from the frightful sight he dared to row now and his breath was coming in great choking sobs of sheer exhaustion when at last he pulled the senseless form of ruth allaire to the deck of the nagasaki and drew her within the frail shelter of the wireless room stout had the oaken bars appeared and safe his refuge in the barricaded room but that was before he had seen in horrible reality the fearful fury of this monster from the deep he placed the braces against the door and turned with hopeless haste to seize the wireless key bennington he called and the answer came strong and clear where are you help his fingers froze upon the key and the answering message in his ears was unheeded as he watched across the water the destruction of the yacht 
this craft that had dared to resist the onset of the brute to fight against it to wound it was feeling the full fury of the monster's rage the gleaming lights of the doomed ship were waving lines that swept to and fro in the grip of those monstrous arms the boat beneath thorpe's feet was tossing in the wave that told of the titanic struggle he had meant to look south for some sign of the oncoming destroyer but in fearful fascination he stared spellbound where the masts of the trim yacht swept downward into the waves where the green of her starboard lantern glowed faintly for an instant then vanished to leave only the darkness and the starlit sea a voice aroused him from his stupefaction where am i where am i ruth allaire was asking in a frightened whisper that terrible thing she shuddered violently as memory returned to show again the horror she had witnessed where are we robert and the adelaide where is it thorpe turned slowly the insane turmoil of the past hour had numbed his brain stunned him the adelaide he mumbled and groped fumblingly for coherent thoughts he stared at the girl she was half risen from the floor where he had laid her and the sight of her quivering face brought reason again to his mind he knelt tenderly beside her and raised her in his arms where is the yacht she repeated the adelaide gone thorpe told her lost a thought struck him was your father on board ruth ruth was dazed lost she repeated the adelaide lost no she added in bladed response to thorpe's question daddy was not there but the men captain mcpherson that horrible monster she buried her face in her hands as she realized what thorpe's silence meant he held the trembling figure close as the girl whispered where are we robert are we safe we may win through yet he told her through grim set lips he realized abruptly that he was seeing the face of ruth allaire in the light he had left a lantern burning he withdrew his arms from about her and sprang quickly to his feet to put out the tell-tale light in darkness and quiet was their only safety and he knew as he sprang that he had waited too long a soft body crashed heavily on the deck outside the girl's voice was shrill with terror as she began a question thorpe's hand pressed upon her lips in the dark where he stood waiting waiting a luminous something was glowing outside the cabin it searched and prodded about the deserted deck to whip upward at the audible hiss of wet carbide another appeared the rifle came slowly to the man's shoulder as a pair of jaws gaped glowingly beyond the windows and an eye stared unblinkingly from its horn-like sheath it crashed madly against the walls of the wireless room to shatter the glass and make kindling of the woodwork of the sash thorpe fired once and again before the spectre vanished and he knew with sickening certainty that the wounds were only messages to some central brain that would send other ravening tentacles against them but the oak bars had held he reached in the brief interval for the key and he sent out one final call for help he strained his ears against the headset for some friendly human word of hope rocket the wireless man was saying fire rockets we can't find a swift writhing arm wrapped crushingly about the cabin as the message ceased thorpe seized his rifle and fired into the gray mass that bulged with terrible muscular contractions through the window he fired again to aim lengthways of the arm and inflict as damaging a wound as his weapon would permit the arm relaxed but a score of others took up the attack again the sickening stench was about them as gaping jaws gleamed fiery beneath the hateful eyes and tore at the flimsy structure 
thorpe jammed more cartridges into the gun and fired again and again then dropped the weapon to fumble for the rockets that brent had given him he lighted one with trembling fingers the first ball shot straight into a waiting mouth another ignited a searing flame of acetylene gas where a wet arm writhed in the hot carbide trail the man leaned far out through the broken window no time to look around he let the red flare stream upward high into the air then dropped the rocket hissing on the deck to seize once more the rifle a mass of muscle crashed against the door it went to splinters under the impact and only the two oak bars remained to hold in check the horrible tentacles and darting heads one mouth closed to a pointed end that forced its way between the bars the oak gave under the strain as robert thorpe pulled vainly at an empty gun beside him rose shrieks of terror as the monstrous thing came on and thorpe beat with frantic fury with his clubbed rifle at the fleshy snout he knew as he swung the weapon that the shrieks had ceased then smiled grimly in the numbing horror as he realized that ruth allaire was beside him a piece of oak was in her hands and she was striking with desperate and silent fury at the slimy flesh it was the end thorpe knew and suddenly he was glad the nightmare was over and the end was coming with this girl beside him but robert thorpe was fighting on to the last and he tried to make his blows reach outward toward the hateful devilish eye he saw it plainly now for the deck was a glare of white light he saw the eye and the thick arm behind it and the score of others that made a heaving knotted mass were brilliant and wetly shining he could see now how best to strike and he turned his gun to thrust with the barrel at the eye it withdrew before his stroke the jaws slid backward to the deck there were sounds that hammered at his ears the guns the guns a girl was screaming across the deck where searchlight played huge arms were lashing backward toward the sea the waves beyond had vanished where a monstrous body shone wetly black in a blinding glare and the man hung panting helpless on the one remaining bar across the doorway to look where beyond her forward guns a spitting stream of staccato flashes the bennington tore the waves to high-thrown spray her four clean funnels swung far over as the slim ship with her stabbing crashing guns swung in a sweeping circle to bear down upon the black bulk slowly sinking in the searchlight's glare the vast body had vanished as the destroyer shot like one of her own projectiles over the spot where the beast had lain and then where she had passed the sea arose in a heaving mound the big ship beneath the watching man shuddered again as another depth charge grumbled its challenge to the master of the deeps the warship went careening on an arc to return and throw the full glare of her searchlights on the scene they lighted a vast sea strangely stilled an oily smoothness leveled waves and ironed them out to show more clearly the convulsions of a torn mass that rose slowly into sight thorpe in some way found himself outside the cabin and he knew that the girl was again beside him as he stared and stared at what the waters held a bloated serpent form beyond believing was struggling in the greasy swell its waving tentacles again were flung aloft in impotent fury and beneath them where their thick ends jointed the body a head with one horrible eye rose into the air a thick-lipped mouth gaped open and a gleam of molars shone white in the blinding glare the twisting body shuddered throughout its vast bulk and the waving arms and futile staring eyes dropped helpless into the splashing sea again the revolting head was raised as the destroyer sent a rain of shells into its fearful mass once more the oily seas were calm 
they closed over the whirling vortex where a denizen of the lightless depths was returning to those distant subterranean caverns returning as food for what other voracious monsters might still exist the man's arm was about the figure of the girl trembling anew in a fresh reaction from the horror they had escaped when a small boat drew alongside they're safe a hoarse voice bellowed back to the destroyer and a man came monkey-wise up a rope where thorpe had launched his boat and now as one in a dream thorpe allowed the girl to be taken from him to be lowered into the waiting boat he clambered down himself and in silence was rowed across to the destroyer thank god said brent as he met them at the rail you're safe old man and miss allaire both of you you let off that rocket just in time we couldn't pick you up with our light and now he added we're going back back to san diego the admiral wants a word-of-mouth report thorpe stilled him with a heavy gesture give ruth an opiate he said dully let her forget forget good god can we ever forget he stumbled forward heedless of brent's arms across his shoulders as the surgeon took the girl in charge admiral struthers u s n leaned back from his desk and blew a cloud of smoke thoughtfully toward the ceiling he looked silently from thorpe to commander brent if either one of you had come to me with such a report he said finally i would have found it incredible i would have thought you were entirely insane or trying some wild hoax i wish it were a damn lie said thorpe quietly i wish i didn't have to believe it there were new lines about the young old eyes lines that spoke what the lips would not confess of sleepless nights and the impress of a picture he could not erase well we have kept it out of the papers said the admiral said it was a derelict and the wild messages floating about were from an inexperienced man frightened and irresponsible bad advertising very for the passenger lines quite commander brent agreed but of course mr thorpe may want to use this in his next book of travel he has earned the right without a doubt no said thorpe emphatically no i told you brent that there was often a factual basis for fables remember well we have proved that but sometimes it is best to leave the fables just fables i think you will agree a light step sounded in the corridor beyond nothing of this to miss allaire he said sharply the men rose as ruth allaire entered the room we were just speaking said the admiral with an engaging smile beneath his close-cut moustache of the matter of a bet mr thorpe has won handily and he has taught me a lesson he took a check-book from his desk what charity would you like to name miss allaire that was left to you you remember some seaman's home said ruth allaire gravely you will know best if you two are really serious about that silly bet that bet my dear said robert thorpe with smiling eyes was very serious and it has had most serious consequences he turned to the waiting men and extended a hand in farewell we are going to europe ruth and i he told them just rambling around a bit our honeymoon you know look us up if you're cruising out that way end of out of the dreadful depths part two